0: Learning about Jesus from the one who was his closest friend. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn about truth and love from John the Beloved. So we are in John chapter 2. We left off at verse 17. And now we're going to go to verse 18. And verse 18 is a very fascinating little section of 2 John. And you'll see when we read it into it. So let's just go ahead and read 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, where the apostle writes, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. All right, so big section of Scripture here, uh, and it has got a lot of stuff in it to unpack. So let's just go ahead and unpack it. So twice here, John talks about the Antichrist. He says, uh, the Antichrist is coming, and even now, many Antichrists have come. And then later on, he says, and how do we know who an Antichrist is? I, I, let's just start with that. Who is the Antichrist? Well, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ is someone who is an antichrist and the interesting thing is is that the term antichrist only exists here in 1 John chapter 2 there's also a little reference in 2 John but basically it's only in the first and second epistles of John where we have even a mention of antichrist it's not in Revelation, it's not in Daniel, it's not in Matthew, it's not in 2 uh, Thessalonians. All of these things do not mention the word Antichrist. The only place the word Antichrist is mentioned is here in 1 John chapter 2. And he even is gracious enough, John, to give us a definition to what an Antichrist is. He says, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ is an Antichrist. Plain and simple, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you are an anti-Christ. So this is a big deal for John, and we know that because even in his gospel, he begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So basically, even in John's gospel, he says that Jesus is from the beginning And he was there at the beginning. He was with God at the beginning. They didn't have a really strong Trinitarian understanding of this. It hadn't been kind of formalized yet, but but you can see the Trinity, right? That Jesus is with God at the beginning, at the foundation of the world. As a matter of fact, before anything was made, Jesus was with God. Well, if Jesus was with God at the beginning, then Jesus is God, because without him was was not anything made that was made. So if Jesus was at the beginning, before creation, and he assisted in creation, we know that God did all the creating, then Jesus has to be God. Jesus has to be the Messiah, the, uh, the Old Testament, Yeshua HaMashiach, which is Jesus, Joshua or Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah. And that's what Jesus Christ is. It's Jesus Christos, which means the Anointed One. It's the Greek word for Messiah or the Anointed One. So Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus was with God from the beginning. Jesus came down. According to John, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, died, crucified, and rose back to the Father. That, that is the simple truth about who Jesus is. If you deny that, then you are an antichrist. Now, we have a whole theology about antichrist, right? Right? We have, particularly starting in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the church took a huge keen interest in the book of Revelation and prophecy and dispensationalism and millennialism and all this thing, trying to create a more refined theology, a systematic theology. Systematic means a kind of a defined theology of the end times and the Antichrist and all that sort of thing. But if we're just looking at John and John alone, the Antichrist, is anybody who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such person is the Antichrist. So if you're one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the one coming, proceeding from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together should be worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets because they told foretold about an upcoming uh, messiah if you don't believe that jesus is that guy then according to john you are an antichrist now any christian who has been well catechized in the christian faith would believe that jesus is the christ this is crucial to our understanding but there have been people that do not believe that Jesus Christ. Who and who are they? And John says some of they've gone out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So there are other people that go out there and proclaim that Jesus isn't the Christ. And who would these people be? Well, there'd be anybody who says that Jesus is less than a man, that would be one category of people or less than God, that He's just a man. Like if you believe that Jesus is just a man, but not the preeminent deity existing from creation, then you are proclaiming antichrist. And and there were in the early church, there were there was Gnosticism, there were all these different factions of people who believed differently than what John is teaching here. And these people were not proclaiming the truth. And the early church fought against all of these little sections and facts. Factions. But there's also the possibility that someone might go out and say that they are the Messiah, that they are the, the, the anointed one from the Old Testament, the, the long proclaimed Messiah from the Old Testament. This is what Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 at the end times at the destruction of the temple. Uh, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So Jesus knew, even when he was here on earth talking to his disciples, that what he was doing was so profound that there would be people coming along in Jesus' footsteps afterwards saying, Well, you knew of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but let me tell you about, I'm really the one. Now, None of those people were the Christ. How do we know that none of those people were the Christ? Well, it's quite simple that none of them died and rose again. Okay, that's, that's a pretty big deal in the Christian faith. If, you, if someone comes along and says that they are the Messiah, then say, fine, prove it, uh, die, rise again in a perfected state And do miracles, and when you do all those things, then perhaps we will believe that you are the Messiah. But until these things happen, we are going to cling to and stick to the Messiah that we know came to earth, died, and rose again. That's the one we're going to cling to, not the one that you say you are. And if you want to prove that you are the one that you say you are, it's quite simple. Here's a knife, here's a gun. Go ahead and die and rise again, and then we will, you know, then we can talk at that point. But until that thing happens, we are not going to believe you at all. It is not in the cards. Uh, And the early church proclaimed this: we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived the Holy Spirit, um, suffered and died, and was, uh, you know, suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. I mean, that's that's what we believe. We confess this. That is what the whole church confesses. So if you are able to confess any of the creeds, you are not denying that Jesus is the Christ. As a matter of fact, you're putting flesh on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. But if anybody says that Jesus is not the Christ, the preeminent one from the Father at creation, then he is denying the Christ and he is an antichrist. So that's, that's it, plain and simple. But... Who are these people? Well, I would say anybody in history that believed that they were the Christ, that, that they said, oh no, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. Well, they're dead and gone and we don't even remember them from history because they died and nobody remembers them. They didn't rise again. There was these there were these heresies in the early church that we fought against, but the early church fought against those heresies and, and came up with the creeds to fight against those heresies. So pretty much... Um, In modern day terms, it would be anybody who says that Jesus isn't the preeminent one with the Father at the beginning of creation, that denies the Trinity. And believe it or not, there are some factions, little uh, factions of people that have denied that Jesus actually is the Christ. And these are not, these are people who are not able to confess the Apostles Creed the Nicene Creed the Athanasian Creed they cannot even read this and say uh you know that Jesus is is the Christ they deny that Jesus is the Christ and those people are antichrists so um I uh do I want to going down the rabbit hole of naming all these who are and all that sort of thing. I don't know if I want to I would say that anybody that cannot confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed or even the creed that's in Philippians 2, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, if you can't confess those things, then you are anti-Christian. You are anti-Christ. And John says, there will many people come after me that will Either deny that Jesus is the Christ or say that they themselves are the Christ. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because we want to remain in him. Uh, You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. If you have an anointing from the Holy One, you know the truth. Now that's fascinating because Messiah in the Old Testament really means the anointed one. So Jesus is the anointed one. And then somehow we become the anointed one as followers of Jesus. I believe that anointing happens at baptism. I think that's what scripture teaches. That at baptism you get all rights and privileges and anointing of Jesus into your life. But he says if you have that anointing, then you know the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit is inside you helping you discern the truth. So that's awesome too because... We know with the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament. We know that because we have the Holy Spirit in us and we don't deny the Father. Anyone who denies the Son does not acknowledge the Father. The Father is not in them. They are a type of antichrist. But you, you've heard from the beginning and remain in this. If you do remain in the Son and in the Father, you will have what he promised, which is eternal life. So as Jesus has eternal life, as you remain in Jesus, proclaiming that he is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, that he died, rose again, and lives inside of you, you will have eternal life. And the eternal life isn't just something that happens after you die. Eternal life, if you're going to be eternal, li- eternally living, right, then kind of that starts right now. You are in this period of eternal life. It may not seem like you're in a period of eternal life because a lot of trials and tribulations and struggles in the world. But no, you, your eternal life begins every morning where you wake up and you look at the sunset and you look at all of God's creation and you realize there is no end to this. This is going to be something that you can enjoy for the rest of your life. I mean, there will be a temporary death where you will put away this old body and you put on a new body, but, but basically... Every joy that you receive in your life, every morning that you wake up with joy, that continues on forever. It doesn't stop. It goes on because you go on, because you have eternal life. And how do we know that we have eternal life? Because it was promised by Jesus. And oh, by the way, Jesus rose again, promising that he would give you eternal life. And since he rose again, if he has the power to do that, then he has the power to do that to you also. I mean, it all fits together. It's just really wonderful. But if anybody who denies that, then they are an antichrist and don't follow them. They're not the one. I I'd wonder how many people throughout history, I guess I could do a Bible study or look through this. How many people in history have said that they are Christ? Well, Luther actually looked to this. Um, Luther, it's tough to talk about Luther and the Antichrist because Luther was very, very, very angry at the Pope at his time. Luther looked at God's word, this Jesus who came down in flesh, dwelt among us, and and had these words. And the Pope at the time of Luther was not teaching Jesus' words. So, So Luther felt that the Pope was also an Antichrist. And It didn't go over very well with the Pope. Why did he believe that? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is that Luther felt that the Pope had too much power and that he was denying the truth about justification, the truth about eternal life, the truth that Jesus had forgiven all sins. And so therefore, when you're in the kingdom, your sins have been forgiven. You don't need... To have indulgences, you don't need to have blessing from the Pope uh, or from a priest to get into heaven. It's it's a relationship that covers over you because of the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, you are in the kingdom through your baptism, period. That's it. And all the things that the Pope is trying to do, he's just trying to get more power. He's trying to get more influence, trying to get more money so he can build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And so Luther was very harsh against the uh, the man uh, who was you know in that in that position at the time, and so he wrote about about um, about the pope, and the other thing that Luther uh, tangentially spoke about is the pope when he started getting angry at Luther, and continued forward, he called himself the vicar of Christ, which we continue to call right but that he was infallible, that what he spoke was the truth. And you could not go against that truth because it came from God. It's called infallibility. Now, since then, the, the Roman Catholic Church has refined that and said, well, it's only he's only speaking those words of truth when he speaks on the throne or basically in the office on the throne. It's called ex cathedra where he has these pronouncements that are truth because they come from God. But the the thing is, is that he says they're infallible. You cannot change these because if they come from God and you know that they come from God and they're infallible, they cannot be changed. And Luther rightly points out from John here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Basically, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes popes. So there's no such thing as a pope speaking ex cathedra or infallible. And if a pope says that he is speaking with infallibility, then Luther would say no. That's pretty much an antichrist type of thing. Because imagine the power that you have if you're going through the world saying that you're speaking for God and you know the infallible truth of God. That is a power that should be reserved to no man. And that's why Luther said that the Pope was the Antichrist. That, and the fact that he uh, that he went against God's word on the on the doctrine of justification, or the basically that Jesus died for all sins. Now, um, that's that. You know, it doesn't say here that Antichrist can't repent of their sin and, and move forward. It doesn't say. I mean, all that we're saying here is that if you deny the Father and the Son then you are an antichrist. So anybody who's denying the father and the son is an antichrist. So at some level, you know, we've all denied the father and the son at some level. And so we could even be classified as antichrist, but we know that the blood of Jesus conquers our sin also for the times where we've denied Jesus. I mean, the blood of Jesus conquered the sin of Peter when Peter denied Jesus. So it's not all that clear cut Um, on this earth who is an antichrist and who's not an antichrist. Now, so, it it is clear-cut here in John. He says anybody who denies the Father is an antichrist. That is just as clear as day. But what happened in the late 1800s is people started looking, they started coming up with the theology of the end times, and they took passages out of Daniel and Matthew and 2 Thessalonians and Revelation and here, and they... And they kind of compiled all of these things into kind of one coherent thing about, about the end times and and who the Antichrist is. So for when Jesus says, many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, that's kind of an Antichrist. When in Second Thessalonians, Paul says that there is a man of sorrows or a, a what does he call it in 2 Thessalonians? Um uh, let's see, By Lord, is don't let anyone deceive you. Yeah. The man of lawlessness is revealed in second Thessalonians. There's a man of lawlessness who is doomed to destruction in revelation. He's called the beast here. He's called the antichrist. And so in the 1800s, they kind of combined all those people together and said, that's one person or one office. And they started coming up with incredibly sexy end time prophecies of which of which they're coming, you know, around the corner. And there have been many, many, many people that have prophesied that the end times are coming. And the interesting thing about all of that is that none of them have come true yet. I mean, none of the prophecies about the end times have come true, which I find curious. Many people said, "No, the end times are coming on such and such a day," and they all go out in the field and they wait and it doesn't happen. And so he goes back and recalculates and, no, it's on this day. It doesn't happen. And, I mean, all of that stuff is speculation. What does Jesus say about the end times? He said no one knows the hour of the day. Not even the Son of Man knows the hour of the day that the end is coming, which is fascinating. Because Jesus is God. You'd think he'd know the end date, right? But he's not sharing it, which, um, which is just fascinating, just absolutely fascinating. So those people that say they know the hour is coming, well, they have no idea. Well, John says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming now, and many Antichrists have come, this is how we know it's the last hour. So when people come and proclaim that they're Jesus or that they're the Christ, that shows that we're in the last hour. Well, we're not talking about the last 60 minutes. Uh, We are talking about the end times between Christ's, Ascending into heaven until the time that he comes back. That is the last hour. I, I pretty feel confident about that one. And we are all in the last hour because because many people have come and proclaimed that they're that they are Jesus, or they've proclaimed against the Word of God, and they are antichrists. But there is a there is an end times that Jesus talks about. He will come again, the trumpets will sound the dead will rise and we'll be rising with him forever. All right. So That went way too long because I have two little more sections to look at, so we'll just do that really quickly. Uh, John 2, 26 and 27, where John says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So John has this incredible thing that says you've been anointed by Jesus. His anointing resides in you. You know that he's the Christ. Do not stray away. Use the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to resist the temptation to follow other people who say that they're the Christ. Don't do that. There's only one Christ. And... Because you know that Jesus is the Christ, his power is in you, and you are able to withstand the power of falling, counterfeit antichrists. Uh, that's what John writes here. As for you, the anointing received remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, which is fascinating. This, this thing about Jesus being the Christ, you don't need any other teaching. You, there's nothing else you need to know. Just that Jesus died, rose again, that was proof that he was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Now, later on, they codified this into the Apostles' Creed. Actually, later on, they, they codified it into a thing called the Old Roman Creed, which exists pretty much from the first century. And in that creed, it's basically like the Apostles' Creed. It talks about Jesus being being God. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So even very, very, very early on, They had a creed about which you would proclaim to show you that Jesus is who he says he is and the power of the Holy Spirit is in you and that God created the universe. And then that became the Apostles' Creed and then it was further uh, amplified to become the Nicene Creed and then it was even further amplified to become the Athanasian Creed. And the Athanasian Creed, which is three pages long, is the definitive understanding of who Jesus is and, and basically... It's very, very long and complicated, but if you just understand what John is saying here, the anointing that you received, Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is from preeminent with God from the beginning. He is co-equal with God. If you believe all of that, then you're fine. You don't need to follow any counterfeit Christs. All right, I'm sorry. I know I'm going at rapid pace, but I got one more. This is John 2, 28 to 29. And now, dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So basically he says, and this is also how you know, if you bear good fruit, then you are are rooted in Christ. I mean, there's no better way to say that. If you bear good fruit... Then you are rooted in Christ. Continue in Him so that when He appears, you may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. Now, I do get the impression here that John thought that the second coming was happening before He died. And I think there have been many, many, many people that think it can't get any worse. The second coming has to be coming right now. I remember when I was a kid visiting my great grandmother, who was Pentecostal. Um, And I would spend my summers with my great-grandmother and my grandmother and go to church with my great-grandmother to a Pentecostal church. And she honestly believed. She was probably in her 80s or so uh, when I would spend time with her. And she she was a lovely lady, absolutely lovely lady. And, And she honestly believed that Jesus would come before she died. And that's what she clung to. But whether or not Jesus comes right before you die or you see Jesus when you raise from the dead, at some point, all of us will uh, either see Jesus coming again or we will die and then be raised because we will be with him at the resurrection when the trumpet sound and all the dead shall rise. So at, at, at some point, you know, the, this this unashamed second coming, will he will appear to us. It will happen. And that will be the greatest joy of life is to be with him. And we may be confident and unashamed when he comes. Because he was the righteous one and he declared us righteous. So that is a lot to take in. And I apologize that it went very, very long and there's a lot of stuff there. But as I said, um, we want to finish this shortly. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, you are truly the promised Messiah, promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. You died and you rose again and your anointing is on us. And we thank you for that, that we will live with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen.